0: Be, uh, over of, uh, Medvedo, huh? Peter S. Williams online um, Welcome Pete. Good to see you. Thank you. You have, you have sound?
1: Yes, I do. I can I can hear and see.
0: Good, good. And we hear you very well now. Grand. Uh, I'm just gonna say some words, some, some introductory in uh, words now. Uh, you all, uh, Peter, Peter S. Williams eh, has been with us almost from the start of Communication and Worldviews, uh, where he was uh, uh, starting his um, work with Damaris in the UK, which was the start of the Norwegian Damaris. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's, he's completed his uh, degree, in a master in, in philosophy, so he's a philosopher, but he's also a musician, he's music. His music uh and many other interests he's a preacher a communicator he's um um, during his time with the with the english damaris uh, organization he did a lot of teaching for high school graders in critical thinking and in ethics taking two or three hundred students in a big room a full day teaching them how to think critically and uh, Including in that also, but if 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 you should argue, how would you argue? Well, well, let's take an example: in, uh, arguments for and against God. So they they get an exercise giving arguments for against the position, which includes something that's relevant to Christian as well. So so um, he's been teaching for a long time. He's, particular communication, a uh, used almost from the start of our course. And um, uh, he has been writing a lot. How many
1: books do you know, please? Oh, 12 or 13? <laughs> turns okay. how you count them. <laughs> Here's a few of the more recent ones. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Uh, one of them is, I wish I could believe in meaning. Interesting book. I wish I could believe in meaning. It's not something that touches modern culture. Uh, he's written a book, uh, the Skeptics Guide to Atheism, right? Many years ago, about atheism. And the Skeptics Guide, everyone thinks that skeptics are atheists, but you can be skeptic, skeptical to atheism too. If you're properly skept- skeptical, you're a critical thinker. He's written lots of interesting books. But his books, his book is a particular. Is, is called Outgrowing God, and it's a response book to the, one of the most famous living atheists, Richard Dawkins. I mentioned him uh, on Monday, I think, who wrote his, uh, his books for, for the young people, helping them to outgrow God. God is a concept, uh, an idea for young people who are not mature but believe in Santa Claus. If you're a real figure, you grow out of God. He's, he's written a response book, which is really very good for critical thinking and it's creative because it's it's created in a story. So we recommend we the book. Um, it's a good, good, interesting reading. Now, uh, we are using Pete for many, many different things. He's been teaching on different subjects. that's typical kind of a job of a philosopher. You give him the topic and he takes it in his mind and he Introduces us and giving very often a bigger perspective and very often some new ways into the topics. One of the things that Pete has been developing, which is unique for his perspective, is 3D. You know, three-dimensional. That's just thinking in one dimension, like the world is flat, but thinking three dimensions. Uh, and you will see this. This is this is the topic of. This a short lecture, and it will be uh, returning during the study tour, thinking in three D about the Bible, reading the Bible, thinking in three D about culture. So it's developed uh, as a, as a perspective into many er- areas, and it's actually based on the very old oldest philosopher of the uh, of the philosophical tradition. The uh, three what what's called three transcendentals. The three categories which human beings have, which is, which are transcendent, they are not things, but they're about things. And there are three things, that are three transcendentals that are about things. The one thing about it is, is it true or not? True isn't a thing, right? It's about the thing, is it true or not, right? The second category is, is it good? Or not that's not physical that is transcendental so if you're materialistic everything is material you can't really think about truth and goodness because they are not material they're transcendent they're beyond the just physical can't touch them you can't touch truth can't touch goodness and the last thing is beauty truth goodness and beauty and all of these things are really touching us as human beings you know, through art, listening to Bilalis. And goodness, the values we long for, the affirmations we long for. I know that the modern generation set is quite moralistic. But morality is really important for them. Respecting other human beings, preserving the earth, and so on. Morality is one of the big categories, and then also the truth. Okay? Sunhead, the sun, now. take good Det, Det er filosofiens tre gamle kategorier som vi bruker for beskriver beskrive virkeligheten. De, er de er ikke fysiske materielle, men de er grunnleggende kategorier vi har med høvde. Disse her er egentlig omgjengelige tingene, selv om ikke de er materielle. Okay? goodness and beauty are free, kind of ways of looking at so many things, and you will have a little introduction later today into rhetorics, Mm. about the dogos, ethos, and pathos. These three categories, they fit into the category of the good, true, and the beautiful. He He will mention that. So you will know them from rhetorics, He will bring them into a bigger picture, even looking at what we call spirituality on the earth Norwegian doesn't make a lot of sense, but spirituality is a way of life that everyone has. Um, and we need to think in 3D. So this, this lecture is actually an introduction to his three thinking in three dimensions and how that can help us generally. Okay? Does that make sense, Pete?
1: Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. He knows Norwegian as well. Tiny a <laughs> <So>, little bit. <laughs> yeah.
0: so, so Lars has, has made a summary of your whole lecture in Norwegian so they can follow. Smashing. And then they can look back after the lecture is finished to, to get the uh, basic, basic ideas here. Grand. Okay? Is that okay? Can we stop now? Yeah, yeah. Just, just a moment. I'll just put it on the record and then you can start it.
1: Go. Recording in progress. Okay, give my permission on screen here for the recording. There we go. Yeah, well, it's great to, to be with you, and I'm I'm really excited uh, this year um, about this course because I've I, every year I teach uh, for a day on the study tour, but this year I'm actually joining the study tour for the whole period of the tour, and instead of teaching uh, solidly for a whole day. Uh, I'm going to do uh, a series of uh, shorter talks, kind of spread uh, throughout the study tour, that will draw upon and reinforce this material where I kind of uh, lay the the foundations of these categories that Bjorn uh, has just briefly uh, introduced. So uh, let me uh, lay those foundations uh, a little uh, further. Uh, by um, kind of putting this in in the frame of a, 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 an autobiographical uh, story of how I came uh, to this way of thinking about things, uh, starting with these transcendent values, these values that uh, apply to all sorts of things that go beyond the little uh, subjects that we divide the world into to to study them uh, at a university. Once uh, upon a time, in the last millennium indeed, I spent two years at the University of East Anglia in Norwich, here in England, writing my M.Phil thesis, which was defending the, the objectivity of these classical transcendental values of truth and goodness and beauty looking at how they related to each other, and then applying those results to perfect being theology, that is to thinking about the nature of God. Uh, You will spot me in uh, one of these uh, pictures of one of my uh, uh, Christian Union small groups here. and This was my desk that I worked at in the philosophy department, and here's a photo of the campus. So, these three transcendental values. uh, British philosopher John Cottingham sums it up nicely, I think, when he says this. He says, the true is that which is worthy of belief. The beautiful is that which is worthy of admiration. And the good is that which is worthy of choice. And so he links these concepts together with this, with this idea of, of worthiness to be believed or admired or chosen as a, a way of acting. Uh, philosopher Norman L. Geisler was someone who uh, influenced me a lot during my, my M. Phil writing uh, and he says that the, the true is worthy of belief because it's it's that which puts us in touch with reality. He said, what is truth Very simply, truth is telling it like it is. Uh, Truth can also be defined as that which corresponds to its object. So it's about reality and it tells it like it is. I think it's true that some things are, objectively speaking, good. and plenty of atheist philosophers would agree with me about this. Here's a quote from the atheist Russ schaefer landau who says, Some moral v- views are true. Some moral views are true. Uh, others are false, and my thinking them doesn't make them so. They're not true or false because I think they're true or false. That is, they are objective rather than subjective and dependent upon me. Landau says that individuals and whole societies can be seriously mistaken when it comes to morality. And that the best explanation of this is that there are moral standards in reality that are not of our own making. So moral standards are not things that we make up, but rather they're things that we discover in reality, that we can say things that are true or false about. So, one example, the injustice of Russian aggression against Ukraine is not something that we invent by asserting or agreeing it to be so, but it's a fact, independent of our opinions, about it that we discover. So uh, our opinions can be right or wrong, true or false, depending upon the facts of the matter that need to be discovered. I also think it's true that some things are, objectively speaking, beautiful. Uh, Now uh, in my MFL I drew upon the writings of atheist philosopher J.L. Mackey in this area Because he argued that if we think, as he did, that moral values are not objective, but rather they are subjective things that we make up. Uh, He famously wrote a book called Ethics Inventing Right or Wrong. He said if we do think that moral values are subjective rather than objective, this should affect how we think about, and here's the quote from that book, how we think about beauty and various kinds of aesthetic merit, for clearly much the same considerations apply to aesthetic and moral values, and there would be at least some initial implausibility in a view that gave the one A different status from the other. In other words, he was arguing that there's a kind of parity between moral values and aesthetic values, and if you treat one of them as being objective, then that increases the plausibility of treating the other one uh, as being objective. So, in uh, his book The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis famously relates how the authors of uh, a particular English textbook that he's critiquing discuss uh, a story about the poet, the English poet Coleridge, uh, and him visiting um, the Clyde waterfalls in Scotland one day. And two tourists are present besides Coleridge, and one of these tourists says that the waterfall is sublime, which was like the the, the preeminent term of aesthetic praise during this era that Coleridge lived, which uh, during the, the Romantic era. And the other tourist said that the waterfall was, eh, it's pretty. And Coleridge endorsed the first judgment and rejected the second with disgust. And in the textbook that Lewis is critiquing, the authors assert, when the man said, this is sublime. He was not making a remark about the waterfall, but a remark about his own feelings. In other words, these these authors that Lewis is critiquing are arguing that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, uh, as the English phrase goes. Now, here is uh, a photo and some video of uh, the falls of Clyde uh, in Scotland. Just so you can uh, get in your mind a kind of picture of uh, what Coleridge and these uh, tourists uh, were, were looking at and, and talking about and making judgments about. Well, Lewis replies like this He says, Until quite modern times, all men believed that objects did not merely receive but could merit our approval or disapproval. The reason why Coleridge agreed with the tourist who called the the waterfall, the cataract, sublime and disagreed with the one who called it pretty was, of course, that he believed inanimate nature to be such that certain responses to it could be more just or appropriate to it than other responses. The man who called the waterfall sublime was not intending simply to describe his own emotions about it, like the textbook authors said. Rather, he was also claiming that the object, the waterfall, was one which merited those emotions, that the waterfall merited a certain emotional reaction to it. Uh, and thus Lewis begins arguing that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. In this, I would agree with a famous contemporary philosopher called Alvin Plantinger, who says to grasp the beauty of a Mozart D minor piano concerto is to grasp something that is objectively there. It is to appreciate what is objectively worthy of appreciation. The beauty of that uh, Mozart piano concerto is not something we invent, but a fact, independent of our opinions about it, a fact that we notice and respond to. So to quote a, a few other people, there were uh, folks that I quoted in my M.Phil, shaping my thinking at this time. Here's um, Mortimer J. Adler, the American uh, agnostic philosopher for a long time in his life although he became a theist late in life. Uh, Mortimer Adler said we call the object beautiful because it has certain properties that make it admirable. So it's not about whether or not we happen to admire something but whether it is admirable and whether it has qualities that are admirable. Norman L Geisler again and um, just for your amusement, I've, I've put this um, cassette tape picture here because I, I got this from a, uh, a lecture of Geisler which I had on a cassette tape this is uh, back in the dark ages of technologies, right? in the in the 1990s so uh, Geisler in this lecture I had on cassette said uh, beauty is that which is admirable for its own sake it has intrinsic admirability Or uh, Matthew Kieran had written a a recent article then arguing that an object is of intrinsic aesthetic value if it appropriately gives rise to pleasure in our contemplation of it. Uh, And I argued particularly for cashing out that appropriately in moral terms. So again, linking the concepts of beauty and morality um, along the lines of Cambridge philosopher GE Moore who had written uh, in Principia Ethica uh, that the beautiful should be defined as that which of which the admiring contemplation is good in itself that of which the admiring contemplation is good in itself so i think that just as my choosing x doesn't make x whatever that is good So my admiration of Y, whatever that is, doesn't make Y beautiful. Rather, just as X is worthy of choice because it is good, so Y is beautiful because admiration of it, its qualities, is good. Now just for the short could you go back to this the the slide? Yeah, if if you want a bit of uh, chuck a bit of Norwegian in there for us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little bit Norwegian. Now, the aggørende spørsmålet er, we start with or we er, we and and we". So for the truth, the, the the good. We, are subjektivt When vi who are good fördi vi think that landskapet is symphony fördi det vi som synes moralen, så tænker meget mange moderne mennesker, og moralen er noget jeg føler, som som gør en ting ret. Filosofen har diskuteret dette her, og han argumenterer for sammen med mange mange moralteoretikere, at at det gode er en kritik, objektiv, ikke i objektivt ikke et fællesskab, men det objektive, så vi opslaget et sikkert noget vi laget. Og det gør, at et landsmoral etik kan det være er galt, alle i landet er om det. Eh, Holokaust er mange millioner tyskere trodde på det. Okay. det er galt fordi de synes det, er det er galt, og vi er det er ikke. Og det samme med det, på de at det er galt en en, man argumenterer så. Men også, det skjø- skjønnhet, det finner ikke bare en psykologiftig. Det skjønnhet er noe som fortjener vår forundring. Fordi det er på en måte. Sånt. Det gode fortjener vårt valg fordi det er godt. Ikke fordi de vi det. Okay? Det, 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 er, det. er den filosofiske debatten sånt, som sier at det, det skjønnhet er en oppgjentlig ting. Så vi må oppdage fordi det er derute. Ikke vi de gode er en
1: so you see the relationship between these values, because when you're saying something's beautiful, what you're doing is you're saying it is true that it is good to admire its qualities and that means that it's beautiful. And this seems to be the view that you find in the Bible. Uh, For example, here's a a quote of uh, Philippians 4, verse 8, uh, from Paul, where he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is morally true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, so St Paul certainly didn't take a, a sort of postmodernist relativist. Things mean whatever they mean to you, if you happen to like it. That's great, different folks like different things and there is no kind of objective standards uh, kind of view of these things. He's talking about whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy, uh, think about such things. Uh, So that's my little brief introduction to uh, the three transcendent values uh, and a little uh, discussion of how they kind of relate to each other as well. Um, and a little defence of, um, particularly um, the objectivity of beauty, because I think that's the one that uh, is most often questioned uh, in our society. Um, truth is the kind of, uh, perhaps the least often questioned, particularly though by those who are more kind of scientifically minded, the kind of postmodernists get into questioning truth. Um, but most people, good with truth. A few more people may question uh, the objectivity of morality, perhaps. Uh, but beauty, I think even amongst Christians, uh, we've generally kind of bought into the cultural idea that, that beauty is just relative and subjective. And uh, I don't think it is. <laughs> so at that point, uh, let me just ask if there are any um, uh, questions that anyone wants to raise before we, we move on to... Uh, part two and our, our second kind of set of three ideas
0: mm. good to hear you pete thanks for being with us today
2: just a few comments in norwegian sure um, um, Vi bruker noen ordet «opbytning» og «submitning». «Oppbytning» er det som er for oss. så er det som er inne oss. Spørgsmålet er om når vi sier at det er sant, sier vi da ikke bare at vi mener at det er sant i oss, eller er det sant uavhengig av om vi de mener det er sant eller ut. Når det er moralsk rett eller galt, ser vi da at det er rätt og galt bare fordi vi, känner det så? eller mener det? eller säger vi att det är er retorik? Vi är avhängiga av om 51 procent eller 99 procent eller 1 procent mener att det är er galt. När en så på det från andra personer, eller många inte bara i Skottland och Norge, utan helt alltomliga många i Europa och så när vi ser på det är er det faktiskt vackert. Vi är avhängiga av jäsutsandning. Er så det är samma. Det är gua och det är skona. Är det något som har med verkligheten nu är eller bara med min personliga mening är? Vi argumenterar hittills att vi tänker på tanken att samma er det som faktiskt är er sant och blir tills fast och rättigt. Men också det moralsk det står fast tydligt sett er i att vi vet allt som är er riktigt enkelt. Men viss modifik är gott, så är er det gott. Vi avhänger om men er menarna går på det. Och samtidigt så är sönns vackert. Så är er det där och vi och så växter det Så så förr vi viller och växter vi eller en en pansar eller vad så, är det där som vackert. Ser det där Det om det är er en eller er personlig val som avger det eller Nej. So yeah, there's actually no more than that, but we can't have a file, So there's like something that you're looking
1: at the, the subject level and the, the So we are the subject. We're also looking which is good for us. Mm. And we are in the right. Oops. Mm-hmm. Okay, Pete, can we move on? Okay, sure thing. So, in part two, we're going to look at this uh, strange English word, but not a strange concept. Uh, of spirituality. Uh, as Bjorn mentioned at the beginning, um, in the 2000s and so on, I worked with Damaris in the UK and a big chunk of my job was running these uh, school conferences uh, in state schools under the sort of general requirements for learning about philosophy and ethics and worldviews and so on and so forth. And at this period in English uh, teaching, um, the UK government had this uh, policy that they brought out uh, that they wanted all uh, schools to teach spiritual development to their Mm. students. Um, But they got into problems with defining what they meant by spiritual development. And I I did some research and writing on this topic because of that. the uh, the government body for um, assessing the, the the quality of school teaching um, called Ofsted um, said this. They said spiritual development is emphatically not just another name for religious education. So they're saying, okay, spirit, you've got to teach spiritual development, but that does that's not saying you've all got to do religious education. It's something different. Well, okay, but what? Is it? If it's not religious education, what is this spiritual development of which you speak? Uh, Well, Ofsted admitted that what is meant by spiritual development has not always been clear. Uh, Spiritual can be interpreted in different ways. So, of course, this was giving teachers a headache because the government was telling them you must teach this uh, and then no-one could actually tell them what it is that they had to teach, <laughs> which was which was tricky. <laughs> Ofsted said any definition of spirituality has to be acceptable to people of faith, by which they mean like religious people, Christians and Muslims and so on, people of no faith, by which they mean like um, atheists of various kinds, uh, agnostics and so on, secular humanists, uh, Marxists, etc. And people of you know different faiths. So, um, spiritual development at Ofsted is the development of the non-material element of a human being which animates and sustains us. So this was Ofsted's attempt to, to clarify what was meant. Of course, the problem of, with this, particularly in light of their comments about, you know, this has got to be something that people of all faiths and none can kind of embrace, is this definition assumes that that mind-body dualism is true, that that people are more than merely physical things, that you have a, a sort of non-physical mind or soul or spirit or something in addition to your physical body. But what about people with a materialistic worldview? Like uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, or of, of the secular humanists of this world, or the Marxists, or what have you. Uh, or people who have a, a physicalist view of humans. Uh, they think that human beings, whatever else might exist in reality, that, that human beings are, are purely physical things. So this definition from Ofsted contradicted their own advice about how to define spirituality. Others said that spirituality is about how people relate to people. It has to do with relationships with other people and for believers in God with God. Or spirituality is about how people think and feel, that feelings and convictions are about the significance of human life and the world, which pu- pupils may experience within themselves. So it's kind of, kind of about, about your feelings about life others might have suggested it's well actually spirituality is about what you do it's about do you pray or do you meditate or do you do yoga or do you uh, are you keen on recycling or you get into all sorts of ways of defining it here so spirituality it's got to be taught but what is it it's about thoughts is it about actions is it about your attitude to life is it about your relationships you know what is it well I think yes to all of that, really. But I think we can give a much better, clearer, holistic definition. And here it is. That everyone has a spirituality, which is a way of life. Generally, a way of life aimed at virtuous, holistic formation. Um, A spirituality is made up of your your worldview assumptions about reality the the ideas about reality that you believe or act on the basis of combined with your attitudes towards those ideas which leads you to act in a certain way and you see how this structure pulls together a lot of these ideas that have been floating around in these definitions that we looked at so it's a way of life that kind of pulls together your assumptions your attitudes and your actions in a way that that uh, is intended to to form who you are in a sort of rounded holistic and virtuous way and one can t- uh, please yeah yeah uh, the the former the slide
0: just so-
1: Boink. there you go Ja,
0: yeah. så so, her forsøker han å definere det ordet som fra hele læreren ikke var definert. Spirituality som er for uavhengig av hvilken livsliv du har. Han sier her at way of life er livsstil eller livsprojekt, livsvei, sant? Og generally, one aimed at the virtualist, holistic for meis, de fleste mennesker, er opptatt av å vokse til å bli noe å forme deg til å og dannet til noe er helhetlig. Du har en identitet som henger sammen med Og virtue, at det er vi ønsker alle, å se på oss selv, som grunnleggende ånd til okay? Det er ikke hvilken helst livsvei. De fleste ønsker en ledermåte livsprosjekt, hvor man kan se på seg som i dette med være, og bli formet av et godt menneske det är er som får oss att er i det här tingen eh assumptions som er eh eh kordel på återställning av medveten och behållningen och så man med i det så kallade spirituella och kommer koblingen til tre tre OK, go
1: on, Pete. Smashing. Yeah. So I use these, these three English words that all begin with the same letter, and talking about assumptions, attitudes and actions, and often I, also, I use three other words that begin with the same letter in English, uh, talking about bringing together your head and your heart and your, your hands as, as kind of emblematic of what you do. Um, trying to bring together your head and your heart and your hands, that's what a spirituality does now spiritualities uh, I, you know we had those diagrams with three kind of levels sitting on top of each other but you can also think of it uh, as, a, a, as a loop uh, indeed a spirituality forms a self-reinforcing loop in someone's life because they have certain assumptions and attitudes they engage in certain actions or practices but they the, the things we actually do in life, the practices we engage in, often reinforce what we what we think and uh, how we uh, feel, or what we are um, find ourselves committed to doing. Um, what I'm talking about the attitudes of our hearts. I'm I'm not just talking about our kind of feelings about things, although that's included. I'm also talking about you know what do you make commitments to, what do you choose uh, in life as well. Uh, and their spirituality, head, heart, hands, becomes this kind of self-reinforcing way of life uh, that people engage in. And again, unsurprisingly, because I think that uh, concept of spirituality is kind of a reflection of the way that people are built, we find this concept all over scripture once you have it in mind so here is a quote from uh, acts chapter 2 verse 37 when peter had, had been preaching at pentecost uh, and we have here uh when the people heard this what peter had been preaching about the the truth claims he'd been making about jesus and his resurrection uh, they were cut to the heart that is that their, their attitude heart response was a, a positive response on this occasion and said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do how shall we practically respond to this uh, they acted in response so we have here assumptions attitudes actions head heart hands working together as people responded to the gospel message and actually you see that structure once you've kind of got it in your mind there uh, all over the place from the old testament Uh, to the New Testament uh, uh, as well. Now, that spiritual structure, that structure of assumptions and attitudes and actions, is generic. It can apply just as much to a Buddhist as to a Christian. But the spiritual content is what differs from one spirituality to another. And of course there can be more or less overlap between different spiritualities as they agree or disagree about various things, right? But the, the structure is the same for everybody, but the content you know, will be different for a Buddhist or a Marxist, his Karl Marx, than it will be for a Christian. I would say something like Christianity is about God's call to enter a Christ-centred spirituality, one that virtuously influences and integrates shapes our assumptions and attitudes and actions through that faithfulness to Jesus Um, so that's sort of unpacking a way of looking at at Christian spirituality and what's particular about uh, Christian spirituality that, that differentiates it from you know buddhist spirituality or marxist spirituality or muslim spirituality or what have you that the structure stays the same but the content uh the focus of the spirituality and so on can differ so again let me let me pause there and see if we we need a bit more um, norwegian unpacking or any questions that you may have that you want to to pass in this direction
0: good yeah Så man har er definert det det, sanne, det gode skjønnet, og så dette kan anvendes som en slags eh, definition på åndelighet eller nysyn egentlig. Både hvor holdninger og ideer, ideer, og holdninger og handlinger sammen. Det er bare ideer, det er holdninger och som kommer korv och det handlingar. Och samman det. På de idéer, förutsättningar, hållningar och det
2: meningen Lars. ja, och vi kan ju börja bak för det i här var ju med både värder och Det kan ni alltså se det er sant, och är er det Jag vill det de se att si at ordet vårt er liksom tanken och försöket ni vad bygger vi med och ni vad utmanas vi mot? Här är er våra kolningar och våra val och händen när vi kommer till livet det er praktiskt. Mariblom har faktiskt faktisk också skrivit flera artiklar, skrivet och flera bilar och följs. Är det er akurat den samma i daglig? I tre Och tänker om livet och om tro som nu som omfattar hela, vilken den. Och det är nu i väckt och som prakar sig och går så Och det är väldigt kärpigt Men vi tänker oss sammanhang med andra tro, så som att allt nu är allt väckt och Och vi tänker oss sammanhang med Jöppe om med livet är händen med det praktiska. Det är en tøm, sånn, fin månad till oss. Si hur kan vi tänka helt världligt om det att vara människor? Och hur kan kristen tro hjälp av sig och tänka helt om det att vara människor? Och då tränger vi alla tre tingena. Fanns du? Du har säkert hört en sak om att du måste bara ha ha dig ord, du måste ha de Sånt, det hjärta. Det det betyder att man måste personlig för oss, men bara vi det betyder noe. så vi ja? så, så det är So I'm just talking about expanding a little bit, bit on, on the on the holistic and that is a very fruitful way, and I'm, I'm, I'm linking that to some of Marvin's writings as well, okay. that is uh, actually taking up the same kind of triad, the same kind of 3D mm-hmm. approach, with, with uh, head, heart, and hands. Yeah. And I think that's a very helpful way of understanding. And again, what we are doing here, uh, be it of course is opening up something,
0: for further reflection and further work, yeah. it doesn't mean I, I have to remember it all, but yeah. we just think about it a bit. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, I think this. I think mm. it's But mm. well, no that the of story, the the from a group of men de är er redde for spørsmålene. Unge får ikke hjelp til om tenke og møte så. Og det er med de selvfølgelig veldig såpare. Om de beveger ut av det kristne helskapet, ikke har den praktiske rammen lenger, så ramler troen sammen. Så de ser hodet, og og må gå sammen. Så har vi ulike styrkringer til menigheter, sånn. Da er det litt viktig å tenke at vi styrker de siden, som kanske vi kjører svakest på, for får det hele kristne. <laughs> det
2: Vi kan samtal det att om hur man menar var det Är på det eller på det eller på det? Vi styrkes på det? Kanske är er det inte kanske en i andra det er lära det yeah. So so what you are opening up here yeah and of course these are the introductory days, so there is a lot to digest in a few days here, for all of us. we er mye fordøye for på så
0: zodat je bij het koppelen rhetoriek in beeld in deze categorieën. Dus als je wat te opdagde, dan zet je die overal in beeld. Dan zet je die ook zo in de So you can continue a bit. Sure. We're gonna teach a little bit about rhetoric. Next lesson with last. Okay. Uh, so we will we'll be good, good linked.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully we agree with each other. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we'll be revising this material on the study tour and, and, and applying these concepts practically to a number of different areas as Bill was saying, like reading the Bible thinking about culture, thinking about apologetics and so on uh, so these kind of now what seem quite abstract contracts concepts we'll actually be kind of making use of to to understand uh, the world and our kind of different practices within it so uh, it it will it will settle in over time don't you worry so yeah a little um, dip our toe into rhetoric uh, briefly and then how these things kind of all line up because uh, meanwhile (laughs) in Norway and here's a photo from uh, 2009 I was uh, visiting Gimla Collin and teaching about rhetoric on the equivalent uh, lessons uh, here. Uh, As James Herrick explains, when we express emotions and thoughts to other people with the goal of influencing or persuading them, we engage in rhetoric. That's rhetoric. Note that on this definition, rhetoric is not limited to the spoken or written word. Uh, But the spoken word in particular is how the the original thinkers uh, in Greek culture thought about rhetoric, but we can think of it in a slightly broader way. Uh, to, To influence or be influenced by someone's spirituality Note. Is an episode of rhetoric uh, and there are different elements of someone's spirituality that could influence or be things that we find persuasive about their spirituality say so talking about the ancient Greeks this all uh, goes back to a very famous textbook uh, by the Greek philosopher Aristotle back in the 4th century BC and he defined rhetoric this way he said it's the power of to observe the persuasiveness, that is, what is persuasive about something, the persuasiveness of which any particular matter admits. And rhetoric encompasses the the principles of how best to help other people make these same, note, objective observations about things. so, it's not as the word has often come to mean in, in modern culture, just trying to persuade people using kind of any means possible, uh, wh- whether those means really relate to reality. To truth and goodness and beauty or not but rather for for Aristotle it's observing what is persuasive what is truly persuasive about something and helping other people to notice that uh to notice what is true what is good what is beautiful about some matter and a very famous uh, passage uh, in his textbook on rhetoric uh Aristotle introduces these three terms, which I'm sure you'll look at later today, of, of ethos and pathos and logos, and he says, of the modes of persuasion furnished by the spoken word, there are these three kinds. The first kind, ethos, depends on the personal character of the speaker. The second, calls pathos, on putting the audience into a certain frame of mind, getting them to adopt a certain attitude towards the subject matter. And the third, which he calls logos, on the proof, the the argument, provided by the words of the speech that you're giving uh, itself. So he has these three categories of ethos about the the character uh, of the, the speaker, Uh, which people, of course, see through their actions, Uh, putting the audience in a certain kind of frame of mind or a certain attitude towards what you're talking about, pathos, and and arguing using words, logos. And again, interesting, you find this in the New Testament. Indeed, St Paul... uh, in a passage in Colossians 4 verses 5-6 to uh, mentions these three elements of classical rhetoric and he mentions them in the same order that Aristotle mentioned them in, in his textbook. So Paul says when you are with unbelievers always make good use of the time. Be pleasant this is have a good ethos and hold their interest when you speak the message. Have good uh, pathos, be interesting. Um, Choose your words carefully and be ready to give answers to anyone who asks questions. That's clearly about logos, about reasoning persuasively. And then, as I was going home and I was waiting for my flight, sitting in Kristiansand Airport, suddenly it was as as if a, a kind of light bulb in a cartoon, went off over my head, and a thought suddenly struck me like a bolt from the blue. And it kind of went like this. Of the modes of persuasion furnished by the spoken word, there are three kinds. And the first kind, ethos, depends on the personal character of the speaker. Well, that's talking about goodness, which is, of course, expressed and seen in the speaker's actions and the second kind is pathos which is about putting your audience into a certain frame of mind Um, this is really clearly talking about beauty getting people to notice beauty in a subject uh, meriting an attitude from them of uh, praise or enjoyment of that beauty and the third which is logos you know proof argument and so on provided by the words of the speech itself This is talking about getting people to notice what's true or what's rational uh, in the, the assumptions, the ideas, the beliefs that you're communicating. So, good grief, talking about ethos and logos and pathos, is also talking about truth and goodness and beauty, which is also talking about our assumptions, our attitudes and our actions. All of these three sets of three of course, line up with each other. They are um, a kind of 3D grid of concepts where our spirituality is communicated to other people through rhetoric and judged through thinking about the transcendental values. So the contents of our spirituality worldview, our head, is communicated through logos and judged by truth and rationality and logic and so on. The, our heart commitments are communicated through pathos and judged, actually, by, by beauty. We, we ask, is someone's spirituality, is that a beautiful way of life to adopt? Is following Jesus a beautiful way of life or not and our hands our actions communicated seen by other people is ethos in rhetorical terms and we judge uh, the goodness of actions of ethos by this standard of, of, of goodness so we're asking of spirituality and of rhetoric you know is that true or false is that Good or bad? Is it beautiful or ugly? And and all of these concepts kind of need each other and work together, um, particularly if we're thinking about how we communicate or assess or or notice the influence of spirituality uh, in um, personal communication or in culture. Now, brief note of course some spiritualities and we'll pick up on this in the study tour as well deny or at least claim to deny the objectivity or the knowability of truth and goodness and beauty uh, and we touched on that at the beginning but basically we end up with this kind of values three by three values matrix uh, this is something i talk about uh, and draw upon a lot in my um fairly recent book apologetics in 3d which is a uh, a bunch of papers that were published in um, the college journal in Theophilus um, together with some other material we get this three by three grid and on the study tour I'm going to be really excited to to join you both from the point of view that I'll get more time to spend with you and actually kind of get to know you as people and have time to to interact with you uh, and chat with you rather than just kind of lecturing at you uh, that's Uh, great, and also that I'll be able to, over the course of the tour, draw upon this grid and start applying this grid, sort of practically in some areas, as we we think about subjects like um, talks like leading and following in the footsteps of Jesus, applying this to thinking about leadership and discipleship, basically, to thinking about reading the Bible for spiritual formation to thinking about culture, reading our culture in 3D, and we'll be thinking about um, modern culture and postmodern culture, uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a new thing of, of that some people are talking about about metamodern culture, uh, and also thinking about apologetics uh, in 3D as well. So. I'm really looking forward to kind of unpacking this further and more practically, uh, and having time to, to to interact with you about this on the study tour. But again, let, let me stop there and, and hand back to uh, to Bjorn and Lars. And if you have any questions, do do feed them in this direction.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much, Pete. Uh, do you have any questions right now? Is Bjorn yes, der er så at dette her de sande de gode skønne både hjert og hende er kategorier du kan bruge på andre verdens ting og som hjælper dig at se ulighederne sådan hjælper så et helt andet perspektiv på ulovsomheder ungdoms- på centor og mennesker og i verden af mennesker mm.
2: Jag kan tänka på norsk så kan jag. Ja, ja. Og det är er med, med Ja. Det finns så många objektivt sjönkta och och inte är så många avancerade, men äger inte inen och sen ett svar på som du behov om. Okej, okay, man har ett bild som är av sakkunst, som mm-hmm. är fantastiskt artik, där mm-hmm. man hör fargo och sånt. Och mm-hmm. så, så gör det nåt mellan att man syns att det är pent, mm-hmm. det gör ingenting. Mm-hmm. Så att man tänker på en sådan parentes för det är skönt att allt. är så skönt att det pågår i ett men så är det någonting som har sitt i Ja. Er farlig, har jeg igjen,
0: kreter, men men har jag men ingenting med att det är er både musik och och jag vill jag kanske kunna se man kan vara kan være uenig om en singare att om en musiktyp att speciellt och det er grejen är och höra vad men jag kan lära där. Och vi istället lära forstå och så in den musiktypen så blir i stand til at kende vores andre. det for det alltså, er vi kan være en, om hva som är er sant. Lige blev valgfrit gjort fra Trump eller ikke. Så. Det er enhed om vad som sker der. Det er sikkert ikke noget at det, men det er heller det. Men det betyder ikke, at det ikke finns objektivt Det samme kan siges om borad. Der om syn på människan. men det kan ikke være en objektiv ting, så. så. Jag tror det är samma, så det brukar med om det köna. Så vi kan bruka om det samme. Vi kan da ben i vilken grad i grejer jag känner Och då kan jag dig så faktiskt kommer lära sig sant? Var er är ja, du må faktiskt lära dig metoder og att med och det är väl med det. Och sen utan det samta Men du så ikke att allt det er där musik så må du lära dig. Når du lytter og sådan tør du sige, at du har andre hørsjære i ørene, I men du kan lære dig at komme med. Det er jo i hvert fall for at kunne beholde tanken døgnet, som er godt, selv om at du er en person, der arbejder godt, selvom ikke i alt de greer og Ja, det bare det. Ja. Man synes, ja, ja. At, at det er helt rigtigt. Ja. det de ting her, vi accepterer, som man
2: synes jeg, at alle
0: må det få dem Nej, men det kan ju väl du kan lära den upplevelsen. Vist du önskar viss den kona älskar en här i antyfång 70, okej. På det så lärar mig och lika där. Kanske du måste syns det lika bakom, men jag tänker också en liten del av damling där. Och det finns sannhäl, och så finns det den gåa och finner det, det körna som, som ett subjektiv element som jag ska undra det är er nog avgift där ute.
3: Okej. Okay? Ja, og det er jo rolig er ikke sant? Men altså, noen av om å lære å ta for en, mm. og, og da kan man være en hvor man, man refererer noe som kanskje er mindre altså, mindre opprettivt men som oppleves mer aktivt, fordi det är bedre med din eller koden mm. du tenker om det, Og er det ting som så kanske som du inte ser på som varken och som du heller inte kan lära sig. Det är er inte säkert att den man visste är obekväm men det passerar er för en visst repammer folk som som har en viss förståelse av för det livs som lever. Och de måste kanske sluta se si, nås så det har varit, visst de liksom måste mm. Det de där de där varje kanske är det som man måste lära om den tinget eller så man kan tycka om att också kan ja. det også blive en når det er
0: en som... at ja. ja. eksempel kunne være Vol, og K, som mul siger er vakkert og kænnt og blod, sant? pornografi, sant? men det går att lära sig og så det for noe, Men du at det objektivt slet är er, er helt relativt. Sant? The Kanda knows a matter of the Feldman, the foot that sheen for a and Fakters
3: get for cocklets, sheen for sex and for cocklets. One is a little for example, I'm going to show you
0: everything. And I'm going to Okay, yeah. Mm. Uh, last could we
2: just continue a little bit further in Norwegian, bit. Um, yeah, throughout this, some. Hvitadelt här når du begynner er 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 å att se på så är det något som är lättare att lite enn annet. Hode, hjerte, henne, tror vi om att alla inte ut hva de greier som, valgene våre, och livet bort. Og så har vi om etos, tillit, till tillit til som och att oss skapa allt värmare och sånt. Det er på en måte griper vi genom att lära. Det som jag tror är er det av vänstvistade är er det som vi kommer att De tre grundläggande variabler, så att i tre sammanat och ett och sammanat. Och då kommer vi egentligen in på ett fält för att befinna sig Mm. det är er vi gärna vill ha har fått, mm. uh, det är er vi på allt folk har tillgång, det måste mm. vi ge dem. Inte fördi huvudet är er väldigt mycket rörsbild, men fördi vi tränger in mm. för att förstå mer. och så kan vi bli reflekterande det är er inte er på slut, men alltså konträr mellan det. tror det för för Men med något det är lettare än något annat. Så, för exempel att kode har med lov att göra, och ha med samhället i det. Det är ju inte så vanskeligt. Den kopplingen där. Att tänkningen var med innehållet, med samhället. Hjärtat av med... Huskar jag att jag snackade om att, att retoriken var som... Och, på sitt goda parts. Er det så att om, om om, om er det och beväger. Det hage berör och Och då tror som liksom är, er, är er det? Och då nämner vi oss det som vi er Så hjärta av då skönhet. Näms samt Har er det blir tilltäckende er. er til, eller som köta är tilltäcken. det tilltäcken och lyckte till saker om eller musik, det är på de som du Är det värsättningen mm-hmm. vid där? det? eller musik och en och. så händer den här Hur Borde får till til en taler eller till en familj Jag då oss du som livet. Och gå här. Når
0: men det är nog liksom mycket långsamt så är det ju så väldigt abstrakt egentligen så men vägen dit är lite krävande och och alltså eftersom detta är av de djupaste diskussionerna som som är i filosofi är sanningen objektiv eller är moral och vetenskap kanske det är inte en diskussion vi blir färdiga med här men som i den ligger det med av goda grundar Let's oh, okay. ensure
2: you, repeat now uh, from Norwegian English. Uh, so, we're talking about some of this is more immediately obvious to us, and some needs more reflection. For example, that head, logos, and truth belong together. It's sort of, yes, aha, we understand that. And I think when we think about it, how do we uh, how do we uh, do we tr- how, when and how do we trust someone who is speaking to us well we look at as you said at the, in the, to their life can we can we trust them and then of course where, where goodness ethos and and hands belong together but I think again maybe beauty <laughs> is sometimes uh, as you indicated Pete, sometimes, uh, uh less obvious to us mm. it's not mm. that it's not it's not easy to grasp that necessarily mm. but when if we think of it it's is it attractive to us is it appealing to us do we like yeah. it then we
1: understand the mm. beauty yeah and it, not, not only it, do we happen to find it attractive but but the question of are we within our rights morally yeah, yeah. speaking to to appreciate it to to be attracted by it right yeah. because you can you can find um you know within christian theology of course we we can find sinning attractive yeah. we we are we are attracted to to sin often but that that is uh wrong right <laughs> A uh, sin is uh, bad and therefore ugly so we uh, in the the process of you know putting on Christ and uh, regeneration and so on we, we need to form ourselves gradually so that we find the right things attractive
3: <laughs>
1: and that we find what is beautiful what is praiseworthy attractive and that we find what is ugly uh, repellent, right? Thanks for that, uh, yeah. that
2: important, I think, comment and reflection. You know, I think we, that's a really counter-cultural in our time. You know, mm-hmm. because we tend to think that what we, each one of us, finds attractive, mm-hmm. is attractive, but it's actually the other way around. What is objectively, in itself, attractive, mm-hmm. that is what we should find.
0: Well, one of the challenges here is is we live in an advertising culture, and you know they they are using the attractiveness all the time to grab our attention, to make us dream and make us see things as attractive, and we have, it, it, it's it's uh, emotional blackmail or manipulation, actually. Right, it makes us very skeptical about mm, mm. The, the idea that that beauty is objective. We you know we're manipulated. So, so, advertising is painting up for something, of something that is beautiful, attractive, and and uh, it's important to see through advertising, right? Um, and, and discover what is is it is it really beautiful? Uh, is it really morally good? Is it actually true? Yeah. And many times it's it's none of them. Mm. Uh, but, but advertising is is the ability to shape and form something it make it look attractive. It's, it's like the, the snake in the garden, actually. Mm-hmm. Making a lie attractive, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Okay, Pete, thank you very much. Um, Tusen tak. To the head, off and hands with you on the study tour. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Very much. hmm so we'll move on here.
2: Um, thanks, Pete. Yes, and uh, uh, thanks for what you are contributing also to our thinking and reflection. I think it's important that we continue. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of us represent different backgrounds, and different gifts, and different uh, arenas.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And this, but I think we can apply this some of it quite quickly, and some of it after some
1: more reflection. Great. Thanks. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you, everyone. And see you later.
3: Mm